Mikey Whipwreck ascending to the top turnbuckle. He hits the splash. One, two. Do you believe in miracles? We've got a new world heavyweight champion in Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey wins. Mikey wins. Mikey wins the world title. And what is Cactus Jack doing here? Former World Tag Team Champions, Cactus is happy for Mikey. And here come a whole host of wrestlers from the locker room to congratulate the new champion. And none of them trust Cactus Jack, and with good reason. Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion in Mikey Whipwreck. All right, this is my way. Again, and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. It's the second week of February in 2019, and a lot of news going on in the world of professional wrestling. Where do we start this week? Jimmy Uso gets arrested. Oh, yes, the big story of the week. Heading into the Elimination Chamber pay per view, the Usos and Naomi were in Detroit. They were not there for a WWE show. They were just uh, hanging out, I guess. And they were driving around. Naomi was driving the van that they were in, and they got pulled over. And because she was going the wrong way down a one-way street, which is a common mistake. I've actually done that before. I have to. Totally yeah. sober. If, yeah. And if you're in a strange city, they've changed that in our city. Like, right. Was, streets are now one way that used to be two ways and vice versa. Then they'll change different ways. And so, yeah. Right. So it's a common mistake. And right. so... Uh, cops saw this and pulled the the vehicle over and asked Naomi to step out of the car and smelled like booze. Right uh, when they rolled down the window, uh, it smelled like booze. And my interpretation of this, and I'm just guessing, is that Naomi was the designated driver, as both Jimmy and Jay have had trouble with uh, DWI arrests as uh, recently as last year. I think Jay 
had one last year. Yeah. And so to be safe, they probably let her drive. Right. And uh, so the officer smelled that. They they asked her to step out of the car to do probably a field sobriety test or to just even shine the flashlight in their eyes. They don't have to do a whole field sobriety test. To, or maybe just blow in the, uh, the detector. Right. But usually to even get to that point, they... You have to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I've... I've driven through like a DUI checkpoint before and I've had to step out of the car and all I did was look at the flashlight and they were like, okay, you're fine to go or whatever. Yeah. Because I'd been drinking earlier in the day. I hadn't been just, oh, you know, reeking a boot. And I made the choice to go through the checkpoint, which is so so weird and so funny to me is I was leaving work and the checkpoint was to the right and I could just turn left and just go a different way to go home and avoid it altogether. But I was like, eh, I've got nothing to worry about. That was, a long, that was a long time ago. So I was like, I'll just go through the checkpoint. It'll take two seconds and I'll be on my way. And they asked me to step out and I was like, oh shit, like this is getting real. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like... They saw me pull, like, choose to go this way. Like, yeah. But anyway, it was fine. I got the flashlight in the eyes. They said I was fine. The officer allegedly asked Naomi to step out of the car. And at this point, Jimmy was very upset that his wife was asked to step out of the car. And naturally, uh, it's a bad idea. He to- jumps out of the van. Yes, you, you should never do that. Rips his jacket off. Takes his shirt off. Then rips his shirt off and, and then, squares up like he's going to beat the shit out of this cop. Wants to fist fight. Yes. Recently in our city, uh, a few months ago, there was actually video of this exact same thing happening. We have a street called Station Street, and it was outside. And sure enough, this drunk dude wanted to square up with a cop. And the cop, what's funny about it is the cop actually like took him up on it at first yeah. and like started to square up before realizing, no, this I shouldn't do this. And they just arrested the guy but it was it's never a good idea to number one step out of a car without being told to step out of a car by the police officer but then yeah you got to be really bold to uh square up and uh want to throw hands i'm surprised he didn't get tased well he almost did the officer brought out the taser and that calmed him down quite a bit and uh then he was taken to jail and uh, got a nice booking photo and was released and uh, the WWE put out a statement that Jonathan Fatu is responsible for his own actions. But at this moment, at the time we were recording, uh, he's still advertised for Elimination Chamber. They're in a match against Miz and Shane. I don't see them getting pulled. I don't see any kind of suspension, especially once the WWE talks to him and gets his side of the story. I think it's just he made a mistake. I mean, people are entitled to mistakes. Nobody, luckily, nobody got hurt and nobody got injured. And he, you know, he probably made the right choice to begin with by letting Naomi drive if he was drinking. So he was yeah. being responsible in that way. But. Yeah, there's there's no excuse for his interactions with the officer, but but you know there has been so many other people in the past that have gotten fired for a lot less by WWE. So oh well, that's absolute before the facts of their case came out, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that I want this to happen, but at the same point in time, if you're going to be fair, which we know they never are, you need to hold you know them accountable. Their contracts are up after April, so. They might not get offered a new contract, so it very well could end up being something that they say, well, you know, we just need a break for a while. At the time of this recording, a lot of wrestling news websites were reporting the the most absurd story that Jimmy and Jay basically planned for this ordeal to occur. This was credited, and it's at Fox News, this was an actual article that they had a reliable WWE source say, they're just trying to get fired. That's a hell of a plan to orchestrate. Patrick to to know I would purposely get arrested yes so I could get fired 
Yes. To go to AEW. Yes, that was basically the interpretation. That's a hell of a way to uh, just quit a job. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know, you could always just not show up to work. Yeah. You could always just... Get high and... Fail a drug test a, a drug few times. Test, yeah. So I just think that was one of the dumbest things I had ever read. But the fact that th- it came from Fox News, that's what's even more hilarious about it. Well, yeah, that anyone would orchestrate, even just someone that works at a factory, that would orchestrate this elaborate scheme to just get fired. Yeah. If you want to leave, your contract's up in two months. You can just leave. Yeah. You don't have to get arrested. So we'll see what happens on Elimination Chamber and if there's any repercussions for the Usos and or Naomi. So she's in the uh, tag team Elimination Chamber for the women's belt. So we'll see what happens. Let's go ahead. You want to do our predictions for that? Because I'm actually excited about this, uh, this. It's a terrible card. I have nothing to be excited well, about. Well, no, this women's tag, uh, having that many people involved in an Elimination Chamber, I'm, I'm a little bit pumped about it. Well, I'm thinking you're going to see some very fast eliminations, especially with groups like the Iconics and the Riot Squad minus Ruby Riot. I don't think they're Mandy Rose and Sarah Logan. They're I, not. I think they'll go not the distance, but I think they'll go pretty far. Yeah, I think there's only two teams in the match that have a legitimate shot at winning, and that is Nia Jackson, Tamina, and and Bailey and Sasha Banks. Those are the two teams that have a legitimate shot at winning. Right. And I would go ahead and give it to the heels, Nia Jackson, Tamina, so that you have the baby faces chasing them. But there has been a bit of dissension on TV between Bailey and Sasha about how Sasha had been injured, which she had a legit injury, so she couldn't work matches. So Bailey was working the matches by herself, basically. So maybe there's something there to that. I don't know. But I would go with the heels, Nia Jackson, Tamina, even though they're not my personal. I would rather any other team win, but yeah. I just I think that's the direction they're going to go. What What's your prediction for the tag team elimination chamber match? I think you're right. I where I would love to see Mandy Rose and uh, or the Riot Squad or or something along those lines get it just as like a swerve to everybody. But I think yeah, the safe bets is Nia Jackson Tamina. So the only other big match on the card is for the WWE Championship, the six man elimination chamber with Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and who am I forgetting? Oh, Jeff Hardy. Do you think Daniel Bryan just retains here in the uh, six-man elimination chamber? Yes. Yeah, so I think... I think we're going to see Daniel and AJ at WrestleMania. I would prefer... Well, I think that program is over. I think... Or or Daniel and Jeff Hardy. I just don't see Orton being able to do a main event. And I hate... I mean, I just don't. And I don't see... I would love to see Kofi finally get you know, this last big push and win a title, but I don't know. Yeah, my actual pick for the WrestleMania match would be Rey Mysterio versus Daniel Bryan, even though he's not involved in this match, but yeah, that's the direction I think they should go, but those are the only two matches on the card that I'm really looking forward to, and we mentioned earlier the, the women's tag match. Well, Naomi's in that, and she's been in a bit of controversy. So is Carmella, apparently, because uh, yes. Corey Graves' wife posted on Instagram uh, very much accusing her husband of having an affair with uh, Carmella. So 
Uh, Would you believe this? Do you think it's true? I very much believe it just because of the nature of the industry. I do too. And being on the road. He's the only announcer that does both Raw and SmackDown. And he has to do, I'm sure, stuff at the studios in Stanford, so he's out of the house a lot. And things happen. Wrestling marriages, comedian marriages, rock star marriages. Anytime you're on the road with a group of people or a group of strangers you meet in a town or whatever, you're going to fall into a trap sometimes. Yeah. Some people are. And so, unfortunately, I, I do believe this. To be a public figure like Corey Graves and then have all your dirty laundry put on Instagram by your wife or whatever, that kind of sucks to have it all in the open like that. We've seen it in the last couple of years with Tom Phillips. We've seen it with Bray Wyatt. We've seen it with the women getting their nude pics leaked and stuff like that. So this is something that's... Even even the situation with Ellsworth, unfortunately. Enzo Amore, yeah. uh, Ellsworth. All your dirty laundry is going to come out, unfortunately. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do about it. Just a terrible situation uh, for uh, Corey Graves and his wife, if, if that's the case. And Carmel was previously involved with uh, Big Cass, and they yeah. had broken up around the time that he got released from the company. So I was kind of actually curious. I don't keep up with like the women's relationships. Like I thought that Ricochet was still dating Tessa Blanchard or whatever. I'm always confused as to what wrestlers are dating who. So They swap around a lot. Just, they do. It, they, it, I mean, I hate saying that, but... It's the nature of the business. Right. My whole thing is you don't play where you get paid. I think it's a little bit unprofessional. But then you get into a weird gray area because you have people like Dean Ambrose, who's married to Renee Young, and so you can't say you can't have relationships within your company. You know, it's none of the company's business to interfere with that. But yeah, I'm sure it's frowned upon. I mean, it it makes definitely for awkward things like this to happen. Well, even backstage, too, if it goes sour, you know, then WWE has to kind of clean it up and... Well, like, yeah, hey, you stay away from this person or whatever. Yeah, you get into situations like Matt Hardy and Edge back in the day where Matt Hardy was the one that had his girlfriend cheat on him with Edge and then he got fired. Yeah. He got fired for telling people about it. So the company does handle these things very oddly when they go south. But since this is between Corey Graves and his wife, who is not a part of the roster, this... There won't be any repercussions. But, yeah, you're right. If things don't work out with him and Carmella, Corey Graves calling a Carmella match might be a little weird. Yeah. He might, he might turn into a heel. I mean, he is a heel commentator, but he might be a little more heelish to his ex-girlfriend if, if that happens. So, And then, I mean, just... There's, there, you're opening the door for so much. It's a strange, it's a strange thing to begin with. Imagine all those years that Macho Man had to work with Liz in WCW. That's years true. after they had gotten divorced. It's very true. Or when you have, you know, Stephanie or Linda McMahon making out with Eric Bischoff and just weird yeah. things. It just, the whole situation with Trish and and you know with Linda and Vince. Or and, I don't want to get too dark, but like Nancy Sullivan, that's like oh man. Yeah, I mean. Wrestling is a weird thing when it comes to romantic relationships yeah. between the talent. I don't want to knock all wrestlers' relationships. Yeah, no, I'm not either. Like, AJ Styles has had the same wife for, like, 20 years, and she wasn't in the industry. Or, right. like, Kevin Owens, his wife, was not in the industry. And those marriages lasted for a long time. But then yeah. you get wrestlers dating wrestlers, and things don't work out. I just think the success rate of... 
But, you know, I mean, Corey Graves was married to someone not in the industry, and Bray Wyatt was married to someone not in the industry. So relationships in general are complicated. And then to have to be on television working with the person is, yeah, it's just a strange thing it's 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 awkward enough at a workplace like when i worked at a pizza place uh one of my friends almost quit being my friend because i dated a girl he was interested that we worked with so that yeah it's just it doesn't matter where you're at it's it's unneeded drama it complicates things uh the third biggest story of the week is uh unfortunately pedro morales has passed away i believe he was 76 he was suffering from parkinson's the last Uh, several years of his life was one of the early wwe hall of famers went into like the 95 class which was not a ceremony they just flashed pictures and said these people are in i believe for the 95 or it wasn't it wasn't open to the public if there was a an actual ceremony but what i was telling you before we started recording is like out of their champions that had long reigns like his reign as wwwf champion was over a thousand days that's a very long title reign yeah and he really doesn't get brought up that much he was the first triple crown champion in their company's history he had many sellouts at madison square garden not as many as bruno but was a huge draw in new york didn't draw as well outside of new york because he did have the puerto rican fans and there's a large fan base in new york for puerto rican wrestlers and so he did very well at madison square garden for the years that Bruno was not uh, wrestling when he stepped away the first time, he was he was their guy. Yeah. And it's just odd how he is not celebrated in the same circle as Bruno or even a Bob Backlund or just those long-reigning champions that you think about or Hogan or... Yeah, Pedro just doesn't get the uh, recognition that the other guys got. He doesn't get a documentary about himself. There's yeah. no WWE-style production on him it's just oh go on the network and look up some clips okay well it would have been nice to sit down with the guy and get the get the whole documentary so for that i it's kind of unfair and he's he's someone that you really didn't see at the wrestle cons or at the autograph signings he was largely out of the public eye for a long time but probably i mean parkinson's will take you out of the public eye i mean these wrestling conventions at the scale they're at now is a relatively new newer thing i mean there were wrestling conventions but not on the scale of a WrestleCon or a star cast where you had just so many people there yeah you know they would have small like gym high school gyms would have like 10 or 15 people but not like 300 people that you get now so yeah. uh yeah it's it's unfortunate but i mean he was 76 years old and a life with parkinson's is not really a life you enjoy very much right I mean, as much progress as like the michael j fox foundation has made and, and other organizations it's still a very debilitating disease and even the treatment the pills are what gives you the 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 side effects that's what michael j fox always talks about is the reason he moves so much is from the treatment for it yeah. so it's it's just a really bad thing and uh so muhammad ali the same way i mean it was very oh yeah to where he couldn't speak he couldn't even speak yeah just like it goes back to him not having like a documentary because he passed away sadly like on a on a wednesday or a tuesday 
he's not going to get a 10-bell salute on Raw or anything. It's just weird how that works. Like, you have to pass away at a certain day. It has to be like a Saturday or a Sunday. Before. Yeah, at Elimination Chamber, they might show a in-memory-of-screen, but I highly doubt you'll get anything beyond that. Like, yeah. it's just odd. Right. So. Double or nothing. Double or nothing. Sold out. Which is what you'll have to pay to get in yeah yeah double or nothing uh they had the pre-sale code that they sent out you could sign up for their email newsletter or something all elite wrestling the uh, event happening in may in las vegas you could sign up for this pre-sale and it sold out very quickly and then the actual general public tickets went on sale and it sold out almost instantly but the prices weren't as outrageous as i thought they were for to buy them for originally, because a uh, front row ticket was only two hundred and eleven dollars plus fees, so right two hundred fifty bucks. That's not bad, no. considering what I thought they were going to do. Because I thought they were going to go like Even the a, WWE. A ringside RAW is more than that. A ringside know. house show is more than that, I think, at this point. But you get to keep your chair at those events, Patrick. So now. All the tickets are available on like StubHub and secondary ticket markets, and you're going to have to pay a pretty penny. The lowest ticket price I saw was $98, and that was for nosebleeds, and that was minimum two tickets. So you're looking at nothing less than $200 to get you into the building. But there are other AEW events they've announced. They're doing one in Jacksonville. They're returning to Chicago. So to me, the specialness of this event, yeah, while it is going to be the first... There's plenty more to come. And also, I think those other events might even be better because when they get a TV deal and you can actually keep up with storylines and you don't have to just make up the storylines in your head, if you just watch Being the Elite for 12 minutes every week and just get a couple of storylines, you know, a TV show, a weekly TV show will help you fill in. It'll help you get hyped for the event because right now all we've got is just from the press conference okay, this guy doesn't like this guy. Yeah. Okay, those future events might be more fun than this one. At the end of the day, it's it's a lot like ECW's first pay-per-view isn't their best pay-per-view. Now, it's special because it was the first. Uh, Barely Legal 97 was a is a memorable thing, mainly for the beyond the mat about Paul and Terry Funk and everything that went on there. But it's, it's not the best ECW show. Right. So just because it's the first doesn't mean it's going to be the best i mean the first wrestlemania is not the best wrestlemania yeah i mean we can all agree to that it's it's notable to say i was there at the first one but it's not gonna it might not be the best one so but good for them and i think it was something like twelve thousand tickets and if they can sell twelve thousand, can they sell 20 can they sell 30 is it time to go to bigger venues i mean that's a very interesting question you you and i talked about it i don't think it's called the phillips arena anymore it's probably called something it's still the phillips arena is it okay the uh the phillips arena in atlanta I think it holds like what twenty three, twenty four thousand. It might be close to twenty, so somewhere right around in there. It's uh, I feel like that you're in Atlanta. You're going to pull people from Florida. You're going to pull people from Tennessee, the Carolinas, Alabama. It's just a good hub to do a show, and I feel like all elite wrestling should have should have booked somewhere like that. Well, it's got a very good airport. Yeah, it's in, it's out, it's right there. And it's big enough that if you can fill this, why not just go a couple thousand more and, and really, really go for the gold, you know, really go see if you can hit a homer or go home, you know, because that's, you, you know me, and I've said it on here a hundred times, go big or go home. But yeah, I feel well, like... Well, not to knock Atlanta, 
because Atlanta has qualities about it, but I just think it's not a very good sports town. It's it's not a Philadelphia. It's not a Chicago. It, well, the I, crowd is just. I feel like Cody with you know, especially the historical side of six oh five on on the Superstation, and I feel like doing Atlanta would be their big. That would be a definitely big homecoming of sorts for uh if they end up signing the tv deal with time warner uh, which is primarily the turner division is based in atlanta i could definitely see them going to atlanta but if it's not if their tv deal is with someone else i, I think atlanta is on their list of low priorities just yeah. because i mean even the wwe doesn't go to atlanta for major shows very often anymore and the last one was what uh survivor series that you went to in like 2014 or 2015 something like that yeah yeah, so that's been four years now, yeah. at least. They're not going there this year, so it's going to be another year before they're back. And they don't even... They've run Nashville more recently than they've run Atlanta, so... They did an Atlanta show. Are there, yeah, they did Raw. They still do TV there. Yeah, but to do a big, big-time you know, pay-per-view show or something along those lines, you're right, they just don't do it. And I also do believe, however, it is the... Well, it's bias, yeah. This area is... He hates the South. Despite being born in North Carolina, Vince hates the South. This area is WCW and NWA territory. Yeah, so he hates us. I don't know. I would love to see an Atlanta show. I think it would do well, actually. Well, let's let's see how this show goes, and let's see how the TV goes, and uh, then we can uh, decide if we actually even want one. Maybe the shows are so bad we say, nah, it's okay. You think they're going to have any more kinks or problems... I think they're going to have production problems because... Because they had a few... Well, even at All In, which All they in. were using Ring of Honor people, I think, to actually do the broadcast part. Yeah, they had a few snafus there. Yeah, but, nothing major, but still. Uh, yeah, like they tossed to somebody and it, they weren't there or something. And the timing was off because they had to rush that very last match at All In. So yeah, they're going to have growing pains because they don't have... This is a their guinea pig, basically, yeah. and you have to fail in order to learn and grow and right. not make mistakes. So right. it's going to take a while to get all the kinks ironed out. I think their weekly TV will be smoother because if it's not live, they can go back and edit that and fix it. Yeah. Fix just like with this, this podcast, I can go back and fix mistakes, but uh, live pay per views, live TV. I mean, you're just at the mercy of whatever happens you informed me live before we went on the air something that i have been begging for that i am so excited now that they're doing tomorrow live on the air the recordings of confidential yeah they're going to upload i think one year of confidential i think it ran for two and i think they're doing one year of it i forget whether it's uh 2002 or 2003 i think it's 2002 because it includes the Austin walkout episode, but this was Mean Gene's news magazine show about WWE. WWE did a news magazine about itself, which is a very odd choice for them. It was cool. It was cool because this company has never done anything since or before that was quite like it, that pulled back the curtain or that addressed difficult topics like the passing of Davy Boy Smith or the passing of Miss Elizabeth or Austin's walkout, things that don't they typically wouldn't want to talk about. Yeah. And they or the situation their biggest episode I think the situation was Survivor Series 97 where Sean finally sits down and is like, "Yeah, I knew." You know, that kind of stuff I think was 
it was very controversial and it was very new and it was it was something of its time you know well yeah especially before the age of youtube and all the people that do shoot interviews before like rf video was around doing shoot interviews with yeah. all these guys this and before high speed internet was just standard in everyone's house and where we could go and, and get that content we still have dial up back then yeah well a lot of people did uh, I think we had made the transition, I think, to a cable modem, but it was still, you know, the internet was still not designed for high speed. Now it's designed for high speed internet, yeah. where all the video is everything. But, you know, back in the day, the videos were really small and the audio quality was bad. And so this was a, a very good concept. And I enjoyed, I remember watching a few episodes of it back in the day, and especially the, the Davy Boy Smith one really stood out to me because, like I said, it was just strange to see them talk about uh, drug abuse and and just some shed negative light because they're so protective of their image to right. to showcase that and have Mean Gene on it. I just thought it was a great use of Mean Gene and a great use of their time at uh, TNN. Well, they do. They had a lot of the uh, the diva lingerie or bikini photo shoots and all that on there as well. The behind the scenes photo shoots, but also in in the real stories they had. One that I really took away from that I remember a lot is Miss Elizabeth and Luger. And they actually play the 911 phone call. And they really get behind what they believe happened that night and the unfortunate passing of Miss Elizabeth. Something that they have yet to mention. I seem to recall since. that they sort of throw Luger under the bus. They sort did. Of on they there. did. They did. But um, and he wasn't interviewed for that. I mean, that no. was just their retelling. Well, it was very quick, though. I mean, we're talking about she unfortunately passed away. Th- you know, the weekend. Yeah, and then the very next weekend, they're they're up and talking about it. No, it covered. Yeah, it covered current events. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a recap show of like, oh, let's go back. So for them to be able to get the the nine one one recording within like four or five days of of it happening was extremely rare in itself as well i I just feel like it was done you know it was something that in my mind stood out as wow you know they really are they're not afraid to go to a place where they've never gone before and they probably never will again yeah they definitely have uh, changed their stance as far as how open and honest they get and i mean sometimes they do like with the hardy special where they showed clips and stuff like that of them high basically but that's i think they did that because the hardys are both still alive and could sit down and talk about it but had they passed away or something you wouldn't see any special like that that showed those highlights because this is supposed to be a feel-good story so it was it was a very interesting show and it's a a welcome addition to the network. It makes me wonder, are we going to get the actual real show, or are they just going to edit the shit out of it? Yeah, are they going to pick and choose which episodes go up there? I, I don't know. Or are they, even then, are they going to edit, like, shows to the point where an hour show is now 20 minutes or something because you've cut half the damn story? It, it's just it. going to be Mean Gene in a bikini photo shoot and good night. Yeah. yeah, we'll see on Monday. Had Confidential been around when the Benoit situation happened? Oh, no, they would not have covered that. Really? Because he was an active member of the roster. And it's just like they covered Davy Boy because Davy Boy wasn't on the roster. They cover Miss Elizabeth because she's not on the roster. And it's almost, they, they wouldn't, and if like Eddie had passed, it, they they would have done like a tribute show yeah. if if they didn't pass away by some kind of, yeah, but Benoit, no, no, they would not have, they would have handled that exactly as as they did. Uh, really when it occurred yeah 
if he was not an active member of their roster, had he been let go, like, okay, say he was let go, hypothetically, he was a member of the roster in 96, and he went down a dark path and did this in 2002 when the show was on the air. Yeah, They might delve into that because then it's like, see, we let him go because we knew he was trouble and he got into all this drugs and all the bad stuff when he was gone. Yeah. And that's what they could frame like Davy Boy as is like, see what happens. See, we tried to tell you. And then they look like they're the victims almost. But when they, he's a member of your roster doing bad things. It, it, I mean, yeah, it makes sense it, because they never covered Owen. And I really felt like that well, was that something was, they should have covered. Well, that was a legal thing. That's why that's between the settlement that they reach with Martha. They can't talk well, about true, it. So. But. We're going to go on to uh, the next one. Booker T files a lawsuit against Activision and Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah, those are two video game publishers and makers. Blizzard does a lot of uh, RPG-style games, I think. I'm not really familiar with Blizzard as much as I am Activision. Activision uh, puts out, like, the Call of Duty series. They, They put out, like, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater back in the day. They're very, they've been around a very, very long time. Both companies have been around a very long time. And apparently they are using some sort of uh, African-American soldier character that Booker T feels like is a ripoff of G.I. Bro. His face, now they put a picture side by side. The the facial features are very similar. I think he's going to have a very, very tough time proving this because the character in Activision and Blizzard's game or whatever they're using him in is not called G.I. Pro. It's not just like we just copied and pasted him over. And it's not like he does a spinneroony and he looks at his hand and he or he calls out for the misfits in action or whatever he's <laughs> saying, you know. He's going to have a very difficult time because when you create characters and you put that broad statement that, you know, all the characters within this game do not represent people living or dead it does fall under freedom of speech well no yeah yeah. it's just like you can slap that disclaimer on there it's just like the movie the wrestler is that's jake the snake's life story yeah but because it's randy the ram and because we because we fictionalized it jake the snake doesn't get money from that even though it's heavily influenced by his life i mean you can't tell me it's not but because of the way that we handle fictionalized storytelling, and we've always treated it that way, I mean, shows like Law & Order will cover, like, like the Michael Vick case was, like, basically done on Law & Order. Like, or they cover, like, O.J. Simpson, and, like, but they say, oh, it, it's not O.J. Simpson, it's Don Sullivan or something, you know? And, yeah. and just that simple change is good enough to make it not count, and you won't get credit for it well i think you know in the in the lawsuit i could be completely wrong in lawsuits in past freedom of speech of parodies have, yeah. has been ruled as parody is protected speech right and so i feel like you're right he doesn't have a leg to stand on because where it might be a parody of him it's not him in a similar story this week, uh, the actor who played Carlton on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he had sued the makers of Fortnite because they put uh, dance moves in the game. So after you like 
win a mission or kill somebody or you do a victory dance. And one of the dances you can do is clearly the Carlton dance from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So Alfonso Ribeiro sued them. And he said, that's my dance. He couldn't copyright it. The copyright office threw it out because it's just a generic dance move. You can't say like, oh, you swing in your arms like this. Oh, it's obvious you're Carlton. It's very difficult to prove stuff like that. So I just think uh, Booker T has got an uphill battle. He should focus on his mayor's race coming up uh, this year or next or whenever he's running for mayor of Houston and uh, focus on that and not worry about G.I. Bro. This is true, yeah. Roman Reigns makes his movie debut. It's a Fast and Furious spinoff, Hobbs and Shaw, which is uh, his cousin. Well, his not-by-blood cousin, but, you know, they consider themselves cousins. With uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is in this movie with... uh, Jason Statham. Yeah, Jason Statham is the other guy in the movie. And Roman Reigns apparently has a small part in this movie. I don't know that it's a major part. I think it's more of like a cameo role. Sort of like The Rock in Fighting With My Family is like in two scenes. I think that's the extent really? of Really? Like, I thought he was in more than that. No. It, if you saw the trailers, you would think, oh my goodness, this man's in the... Like, those two scenes that the trailers show is his involvement in the movie. Wow. On screen. So, I, that's what Roman Reigns basically... When does that come out? Cause I it actually, came out this weekend. Okay, because I do want to go see it. It got good reviews on, on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at like 90%, but to me, I'm sorry. It still looks like shit to me. I cannot... It's not for me. It's just not for me. If I if I had little kids or something and wanted some sort of inspirational story, I guess I'd go see it, but it's just not for me. You know, yeah, it's inspirational until you get wellness policy violations, but you know, that I think the movie stops before then. I think the ending scene is her winning the Divas title. I really No, the sequel where she's dating Alberto Del Rio. That's I want to see that movie. <laughs> where see. it's just crazy people running around doing drugs, getting into fights, getting almost arrested, getting suspended, losing their jobs. That's what I want to see. That's getting, the getting fun. Getting tattoos of, of him on Yeah, on Alberto. Yeah. Tattooed on your body. Good idea. <laughs> All right. Perfect example. We're, we make fun. We, we joke around. We... But I really do like Paige, and she's had a rough go of it, and I think it's awesome that they made a movie regarding her life, especially how how difficult of a life she has had in getting to where she got. So, yeah. I think it's an interesting story, but like I told you before, I just think there's a million other wrestling stories that are more interesting. Every wrestler takes a a rough road to get to, if they make it, to the big time. I mean, no matter what industry you're in, if you make it to the grandest stage, your journey is probably interesting. And I think that hers isn't that interesting to me. Yeah. You informed me today is a special day. Oh, yes. It was on this day 22 years ago. We're recording this on February 16th, 2019. On February 16th, 1997, it was Final Four right here in WWF Final Four in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Stone Cold Steve Austin took on Bret Hart, who took on Vader, who took on The Undertaker for the WWF World Title in a uh, fatal four-way match. Yes. Well, it was an elimination match, but it was, uh, and Vader got the bloody eye, and Bret Hart won the belt, only to lose it the next night in Nashville, but I still have my ticket stub. That's where I went. I, uh... As the first live wrestling event I ever saw was uh, that pay-per-view and got me hooked. I'd mainly watched Nitro before, so I had no idea what was going on in WWF, but I, that actually made me interested in the WWF product, and that's when I saw like 
that episode a few weeks later when Bret Hart loses his mind and says, this is bullshit and all this stuff, and I was I was hooked. It really yeah. hooked me then. This past week was another historical day. February 11th marked the 50-year mark of Dory Funk Jr. beating Gene Konitsky for the NWA title. And you and I talked. You don't see it much of a big deal. No. I, on the other hand, see it as the golden age of the NWA transforming into Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, Ric Flair, the uh, the Briscoe, the, just that whole reign. I see that as the transformation from the, the start old, old guy, you know, golden age. The slow grind we made to Flair and Dusty to then the prestige of the NWA and, and what it stood for. I consider it a major, major historical win. Yeah, and my major historical win from this past week was 15 years ago, Eddie Guerrero beat Brock Lesnar to become the WWE champion at No Way Out 2004. With, with Goldberg's help, by the way. A little help from Goldberg, Nobody yes. remembers that part. No, that part is forgotten about. But he did still win with a frog splash, so yeah. there was still some stuff. But then the celebration afterwards was a very special moment for Eddie, and his brother was in the crowd, and he dove into the crowd, and the crowd was going nuts for the title change, and... A very magical moment for a non-WrestleMania title change. One of the best. A very memorable week in the world of uh, pro wrestling for events that are special to us. So. Yeah. Absolutely. This week is my pick. And I wanted to pay tribute to a man that I consider to be very underrated. A man who has refereed, managed, then went on to actually have a wrestling match. This man... His whistle should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, we're almost getting to that point in the Hall of Fame where we'll just have props. So, uh, Like Jimmy Hart's megaphone. Fonzie. Bill Alfonso. We, this is our tribute episode to Bill Alfonso. Yeah, of all the people we could do a tribute episode to, no better than Bill Alfonso. Well, Not a yeah. lot of people are doing podcasts about Bill Alfonso. But Fonzie? We, I love Fonzie. So... Fonzie is a very ugly man. Uh, he has a very distinct look, and in one of the episodes of Hardcore TV that we reviewed, they got way too tight on his face in that camera shot, and he spits all over the place, and he, he's got a very distinct voice, too. Yes. I don't know which is more annoying, his voice or the whistle. A very good antagonist in ECW, and a very a very good mouthpiece to accompany Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Especially yes. Sabu, who does, like I said, I don't recall any words ever coming from Sabu's mouth. So having, I had never heard the man speak until we, we did that show with him. When Paul Heyman is running the place, when the best person you have can't be the manager... He, he was a good choice for them. Yeah. And so we picked two episodes of Hardcore TV. Uh, let's start with the one from 1995. What was the date on this 1995 one? It was November 7th, 1995. Now, that's the date on the network. Now, before we get into the show, okay, so we talk about the era of TV deals and how AEW needs a TV deal. Well, ECW had the worst TV deal ever because they did paid programming. Paul paid TV stations to air the show, much like advertisers do now. So 
three in the morning you see an advertisement for knives or you see it for hair products or there's one I see every weekend for dental surgery. And so this is how he distributed ECW. And this is the only time I only saw hardcore TV one time in our local market. And it was at like two in the morning on some random channel because that's how he got it out. He would literally mail the tapes. And Bubba talked about this when they did the ECW sit down when they put all this stuff on the network or whatever about how Bubba had to put the address on the tapes and send it out. So that's the worst kind of TV deal is when you actually have to pay to get it on TV. No other syndicated deal today works like that. So like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, a TV station pays them to have the show. It's not like Alex Trebek is sending a VHS tape out and sending $300 with it. So this was the worst TV deal in the history of wrestling TV deals. It, it got them out there, though. It did, and it was a very niche product, and it, airing late at night was the perfect audience for this crowd that wanted extreme content. And to yeah. have it late at night, it just felt right. Yeah. We would probably be having a, an adult beverage, maybe watching an adult movie, and then you turn on ECW and... It's late at night, so it was a perfect fit. Now, so these dates on the network, I'm not sure how accurate they are because who knows when the TV station would actually air it. Who knows if they aired them in order? Who knows? Because the, the date that one of these were taped on was definitely different than the date that's on the network. Right. So what date was for this 95 one again? November 7th. Okay, so my suggestion, if you want to actually go back and watch this along with us, is to look... If you need to, like, look up... I was trying to find notes that other people had made about these episodes, and the best way to do it is by episode number. So if if, yeah. if, they, if they, I would suggest them write down the episode number and then go look for it, because these dates... I don't really trust these dates, because uh, who knows when they aired. It's, probably Paul Heyman's like, hey... Best look, guess. That's the looking, one back in the, looking back in a book somewhere. So... <laughs> Last week we covered November to Remember 97, so we go almost two years almost to that day, a couple weeks before, but two years prior to that in 1995 for an episode of Hardcore TV. Now we start out this episode with a highlight of Mikey Whipwreck winning the ECW championship over Sandman last week. So we missed a, a big episode of ECW Hardcore TV. For the one that we chose. So we saw the highlights from last week as Mikey Whipwreck overcame the odds and became the ECW champion. He celebrated with Cactus Jack, who was his tag team partner early on in ECW. And some of the locker room, all the good guys in the locker room came out while Sandman is there just sulking with Nancy Sullivan. And then he says he's going to get his belt back. And they'll do it his way. ECW highlights play with a dubbed theme song. Not that ECW song you're all used to. And the show begins. Joey Styles welcomes us to Hardcore TV. And boy, what a match we have to kick things off, Patrick. It's El Puerto Ricano taking on J.T. Smith. So... I don't, I don't know any... Yes. Yeah, I had to Google them as well. Uh, could not find El Puerto Ricano... Uh, but I did find J.T. Smith. He did, he does have a Wikipedia page, so he... How uh, credible is his Wikipedia page? Oh, that's a good... It's not just incredible, uh, but he, it is out there. And so what this did make me realize, though, is that, you know, you, you always think about ECW and you think, oh, I know everybody that was in ECW pretty much. No, you don't, because they had some jobbers. And yeah. uh, 
So that's what we have here. J.T. Smith is an African-American man, but he thinks he's Italian. So they were uh, maybe starting to brew some uh, FBI thoughts here. And maybe this was going to be our original FBI member here, J.T. Smith. His gimmick, this is a great gimmick. This is going to get you over, Patrick, is that he botches. Yes. That's his gimmick, is that he is so clumsy that he hurts himself. But yet he can sometimes win a match. This guy is not going anywhere fast. JT Trips coming into the ring, and El Puerto Ricano hits a lion salt for a near fall. Then he hits a springboard plancha to the outside. JT tries his split-legged moonsault and nearly breaks his own neck trying to do this purposeful botch. Uh, so stupid, man. Like, if that's your gimmick, at least just do slip and falls. At least do yeah. Titus O'Neil. Just slide into the ring. Do something safe. Don't land on your neck. JT then does a belly-to-belly throw, then he hits a side-shot powerbomb, and JT Smith gets the win despite his gimmick of botching. So even though he's clumsy, Patrick, he can still win a match sometimes. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Jay Lethal. In- that is probably the finest compliment JT Smith has ever gotten. Uh, no, he doesn't remind me of... The facial features, I guess. and the He reminds me of... The body-wise, the build. He doesn't remind me of much. He reminds me of how much I hate jobber matches, and I'm glad that that's sort of a thing of the past. Every once in a while, it's fine, but I was very worried when we started this uh, episode of Hardcore TV. By the way, speaking of jobbers, a few weeks ago I talked about The Gambler, and I finally found a match on YouTube that he won. I found video proof that he had his arm raised. The Gambler from Chattanooga won a match in 1994, and it's on YouTube. I forgot who he wrestled, but... I want to find this man and have him be a part of our show. I think uh, The Gambler is uh, not taking bookings, so... Because they tried to get him for the Scenic City Invitational, and he, he turned him down, so... Uh, I don't think we're going to get the gambler. Now, the real point of these jobber matches is so that the Sandman can come to the ring. He says he's pissed off, and then he leaves after he, of course, hits them with kendo sticks. He is bloody as shit. Yeah, I believe this must have been taped the same night. I think they did from multi- last week. multiple tapings because... Why would he be bloody otherwise? Yeah. It was, was very odd. He was just recently, I think, the main event, and then we start to another episode, and he's still bloody, so... Dances with Dudley is out next, and he comes out to another terrible dub theme song. This one sounds a little bit like Highway to Hell. He's taking on a guy... Oh, what a great name here. Hack Myers. Hack. Not hardcore hack. That's Sandman. Hack Myers, that's right. We get a strike exchange followed by a drop kick by D.W. Dudley here, who was a Native American Dudley. Tatanka Dudley, basically, here. I don't believe he was Native American. I don't believe he was either, but that's his gimmick. So I'm just going to honor Kayfabe and believe that he is a Native American and that his father is the same as all the other Dudley's father. Hack Myers strikes D.W. with an elbow to the back of the head and hits a drop kick to the back of D.W.'s head on the apron. Joey Styles calls Hack's move here a coup de gras, which is a top turnbuckle pedigree, but to say that it's a top turnbuckle pedigree is being very, very generous uh, to whatever this move was supposed to be. It's some sort of face buster from the top rope, but Mr. Hack Myers does not get anywhere close to... I mean, it's the safest... I mean, if you're going to do this, he made it as safe as possible, because... It's sort of like your crotch coming down on the guy's neck and the guy just drops before 
you get anywhere close. So what could be like a really like a super pedigree is nowhere near that dangerous here. The way Hack Myers does it. So Hack gets the win. There you go. But Sandman comes in and, of course, beats them up with a kendo stick and yells to the crowd, Shaw. That was Hack Meyer's nickname. He was the Shaw of ECW. And uh, Hardcore Hack, not happy with Hack Myers. They show a highlight of a guitarist playing the national anthem from November to Remember last year. See, they used to run November to Remember, just like all their other shows. Not on pay-per-view. They were just special events and so apparently they had this guitar player who i thought was doing a good job with the national anthem i don't know why they were shitting on him he didn't sound that bad to me no he hit the wrong chord that's all yeah one bad chord yeah and 911 comes out and choke slams the shit out of him through two tables and the place goes absolutely bloodthirsty crazy i think he just gets choke slammed on the stage <laughs> i think you're thinking of a different table spot in one of these episodes but only in ecw only in paul Heyman's head could you attack someone playing the star spangled banner and get cheered for it because now that would never fly not in vince mcmahon's wwe not in anywhere no matter how shitty the version is when our guitarist couldn't quite perform our own national anthem As the crowd began booing, the people's voice emerged from the locker room. 911 and manager poorly dangerously had a star-spangled message for our guitarist. on as the choke slam came down and the evening was underway even the jim johnston chris warren national anthem didn't have chris warren getting choke slammed pile driven by kane so that would have been awesome it would have been it would have saved that segment but they should have taken a page out of this book here we go to highlights the pit bulls beat the bad breed and then two cold scorpio beat mr hughes and ron simmons that's right he was an ecw he beat shane douglas up with two cold scorpio this is all from november to remember uh last year so these are year old highlights we're seeing for some reason shane then got on the mic and demanded that stunning steve better show up to ecw and help him out and he would in 1995 the tasmaniac defeated dean malenko and chris benoit earned his nickname the crippler as he dumped sabu on his head and then got chokeslammed by 911 for his effort so welcome and goodbye chris benoit to ecw public enemy won the tag belts against whipwreck and cactus jack dreamer beat tommy cairo and sandman jumped dreamer after revealing that he wasn't blinded he had apparently had some fire thrown in his eyes but he was fine he was just faking it paul Heyman talks about how he made sandman stay home (laughs) and keep kayfabe and not go out into public so they actually thought he was really blinded yeah they did a good job on his eye makeup too for paul Heyman budget here now we go to a steve austin promo he's on top of a ladder and he cuts a promo on woman he does not like women, apparently. 
He says if he had a couple of dollars and a clothespin, he would even give her a try. Not a Mikey Whipwreck. It's not one of the misfits back here in that godforsaken dressing room, man. This is Steve Austin. Don't get me wrong, hey. I can rustle up $5, and if I had a clothespin to put on my nose, I'd give you a try. Wow, that's 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 rough. Who knew this guy was going to be the biggest face in the industry in two years? We're told Bubba Ray Dudley will have the opening ceremonies of November to Remember 95. I can't wait to see that. Stuttering Bubba Ray Dudley. Bu, 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 bu. My name is Bubba Ray. A very strange match is next, which would turn out to be the big event of the night here. Rocco Rock will defend his tag belts in a one-on-one match against Two Cold Scorpio, who is the TV champ. That's right. Both belts are on the line here, is what we're told, although it never seemed like the TV belt was in any danger here. Arm drags by Rocco Rock and Scorpio bails to the outside. He misses a Pescado and crashes into the concrete. Rocco decks Scorpio with a frying pan, whips him into the crowd, He hits him with a Gatorade bottle to the face, which Scorpio sold for some reason. Then Scorpio climbs the soundstage as this match was edited beautifully. I wish they would cut down everything like this so they would just crossfade into the big spots of the match. See, I hate that. I liked it. I want to see the whole match. I liked skipping the bullshit, the walk and brawl. Uh, We cut, and they're climbing the soundstage, and he moonsaults Rocco through two tables. They get back into the ring. We just cut right back to the ring. Forget the walk and brawl. And Scorpio hits a super belly-to-back for a near fall off the turnbuckle. Then he hits a pancake to Rocco Rock, and then he hits a backflip leg drop off the top turnbuckle, but he breaks his own cover because he's stupid. And then he decides to cover, and Rocco kicks out. Scorpio posts Rocco for a superplex, but Rocco counters, hits a flying shoulder block for a near fall. Then he tries superplexing Scorpio through a table, but the table, these tables were well built. This one doesn't break at all. Ouch. And Rocco only gets a two count on Scorpio, who did not go through the table, but near it. Then we cut again. Now a table's on fire, and Rocco misses a dive a somersaulting senton through the flaming table and catches himself on fire. And Scorpio turns face and helps Rocco put out the fire. He rolls him around. Rocco apparently did not pay attention in school. Stop, Stop drop, drop, and roll. roll. Everyone knows that. The referee, Jim Molyneux, I think it was, had to uh, put the fire out on the table just by stomping it. Yeah, Jim Molyneux. He was, he was trying to fight fires. He became a firefighter for a second. Scorpio calls the match off, and I thought, well, that's that's cool. I mean, I understand it. It makes sense. I mean, the guy got burnt. But no, he turns back heel, he clotheslines Rocco Rock, one, two, three, and he wins the tag belts. And once again, common complaint with ECW matches, you never know when to stop him, okay? When he was on fire, he should have put out the fire and then just pinned him. Why did he even tease the babyface turn, like... Well, instead of hitting the clothesline, I would have just rolled him up for a small package. Yeah. They never know how to end matches here, by the way. This table also didn't break. This table was on fire and did not break. But every table we saw at November to Remember 97 broke without even being touched. Yeah. So these were very good tables. Sandman had come out and caned Johnny Grunge in the face so Scorpio could get the win. Sandman comes into the ring and Scorpio says, Hey, I won these tag belts. You want one? 
And Sandman, who had just lost the world title, was like, sure, this is fine. And there you go. They're now the tag champs. It's true. He settled for, you know, I'll just take any belt. I don't care. Joey plugs November to remember, and the new match that has been scheduled. And boy, this takes some explanation. All right. So, Rocco Rock, Johnny Grunge, in a tag match against Scorpio and Sandman. Sandman. Now... If either Rocco Rock or Johnny Grunge can pin Scorpio, that person gets the TV title, plus they get their tag titles back. Right. Plus, the person who gets the pinfall goes on to face Mikey Whipwreck later that night for the ECW heavyweight title. Now, if <laughs> if Scorpio or Sandman get the pinfall, they keep the tag titles, Scorpio still keeps his TV title, and the person who gets the pinfall goes on later that night to face Mikey Whipwreck for the heavyweight title. Yeah, so... You with me on that? Yeah. Okay. Here's my only problem with this whole scenario. If you were Too Cold Scorpio, you would try to not get tagged in until the very until you see an opportunity. Exactly. And you'd make a blind tag and come in because you have the most to lose. Right. Sandman doesn't have much to lose, and right. Public Enemy has nothing to lose. Right. But how cool would it be if Scorpio did it and then went on to win the ECW Heavyweight title and walks out holding all the title belts? Well, that's why he changed his name here to Two Gold Scorpio. That's right. So there you go. Joey explains all that for us. It takes a couple minutes. Then he tells us, hey, that match might not even happen, though, because the Friday before that, Mikey Whipwreck has to defend against Rey Mysterio. So all that I just told you might change anyway. Rey Mysterio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Rey Mysterio is going to do the job to, to Mikey, Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah. Then we go to last week's Beulah segment, which was lovely, titled Beulah's Box, where Austin does a Monday NyQuil segment making fun of Bischoff. And, of course, Bischoff was the commentator on Nitro at this time, so he We've was... got Bongo. Bongo, which was just a set of bongos, was to his right. And to his left was supposed to be the brain, but the brain couldn't be there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monday Night Wall, where the big boys play with each other. I apologize for the balloons, but I had to fire the pyrotechnician guy because he couldn't show up. I did it over the phone, no less, but I had to fire him. Okay, right here where the big boys play with each other on my right, as of always, Bongo. Bongo, how you doing? Okay, now the brain couldn't be here tonight. Pan over here to where the brain's supposed to be. Brain couldn't be here, so I had my secretary leave a message on his answer machine, and when he calls me, I'm going to fire him. So then we cut back to Joey Styles, and he tosses to Beulah's box segment that happened in the ring with Todd Gordon. And Todd Gordon gets chair-shotted by Bill Alfonso. Alfonso says to Beulah, she's a woman, and she's lucky to be in his ring. He calls her a slut. Lovely. Then Todd Gordon does what he always does, tackle and punches. And the two of these guys brawl until Beulah mounts Alfonso and beats him down. Then we go to a Alfonso promo about the big whore wanting him and how she charges the guys in the back for, I guess, sex... And then the locker room has to separate them. Oh, so Alfonso did that promo in the ring, so he yes, he grabbed the mic. Alfonso blindsided Commissioner Gordon. I can't believe this. This is my segment. You are not allowed on my show. A segment 
can even be in Bill Albonte's ring. Oh! Todd Gordon trying to fight back. Alfonso going to work on the commissioner with the chair. Buell is upset. Not that she cares about the commissioner, but her segment's been interrupted. You keep your hands off of me, you slut! You How dare he! Alfonso's got the advantage now. Beulah jumps Alfonso. We got another cat fight. Get him, Beulah. Get him. Ever since I came here, I knew she wanted me. You seen that girl? Are you right kidding me? me? She's a big whore. You can't. How fact, dare you say that? She charges the guys in the back room. Get her out of my ring. What? You're Viola all over Alfonso again! And who could blame her? Commissioner Gordon is down and out! And Viola breaks free! I, I Honestly, I think the guys let her go! Who doesn't want to see Bill Alfonso get beaten down? I've done it again! That's twice in a row! I've laid out Todd Gordon. I've sent women screaming. I've sent all the ECW fans home embarrassed. I'm Bill Alfonso. Three men, three grown pro wrestlers are holding back Beulah McGillicuddy. And Beulah still breaks free of them four times to get at Fonzie. Yes, and then we go backstage where Alfonso cuts a promo right in our fucking face. I mean, it couldn't get... The camera couldn't get any closer. We were in this man's mouth, in a figurative sense. Todd Gordon, you think I'm through with you? Wrong again. ECW, you think I'm through with Todd Gordon? You're wrong too. I'm going to kick your butt every time I get a chance. Todd Gordon, I'm Bill Alfonso, and don't you ever forget it. You understand me? Public enemy. Now, the matches are over tonight, guys. Now it's a promo parade. As we get to close the show with nothing but promos. Public Enemy cut a promo. They discuss how they can win the match in November to remember. They're not too smart, apparently, Patrick. They didn't understand. Johnny didn't. Johnny Grunge. And then Johnny's like, but I really like Mikey. Rocco reminds him, you know, hey, all the gold means all the money. All the money means all the women. And so Rocco was like, oh, well. Or Johnny was like, oh, well, I never liked him to begin with. Then we go to Bubba Ray, who just says... His name is Bubba Ray Dudley. Then we go to Austin, who's doing another Bischoff promo where he slept through the main event of Monday NyQuil. He missed it. He, oh, he missed it again, damn they it. Put it. They put him to sleep. Rocco then has to explain the match to Johnny Grunge again. Bubba then says his name again, but this time Big Dick Dudley shoves him away and mugs at the camera. Then we go to Cactus Jack, who talks about druggies at school and how he never did drugs. He doesn't need drugs. The fans encourage him to do bad things to his body. He hates Tommy Dreamer. He hates Terry Funk. Terry is with Tommy, and he says wrestling's a sport, and it's going to be Dreamer's sport for a long time. How right he would be. Tommy Dreamer to this day, still in the ring. And Terry Funk sometimes. He says he'll pull the colostomy bag out of Funk and smack Dreamer with it, says McFoley. Bubba then says, that's all, folks. He's Porky Pig now, and we're out. 
And that is our show. That is that is to get you hyped. Yes. For nothing because they had no pay per view deal. So unless you're in Philadelphia, get hyped for something. Pretty bad episode of Hardcore TV. It had the memorable Austin uh, as Bischoff promos, which unfortunately on the network had that stupid dubbed over music underneath. So it was hard to. I had to turn the closed captioning on to make sure I heard what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, but you also had Mick Foley showing up, and uh, so there was some memorable the Alfonso stuff with with Beulah, which would carry over for two years, as we're about to find out. But the matches, uh, I think I'll pass on the matches. The the match between Scorpio. And Rocco Rock. Now you you do kind of have a point with the uh, edited parts. Instead of showing us those two jobber matches early on, Just give us the whole fucking match for that one because that's the title. That's the match that has all the, in, the Impl- enjoyment and it has all the implications. Yeah, it's like fuck. If they're gonna go thirty minutes, let's do the bullshit talking and segments and then give us that match for thirty minutes. Yeah, so I, I would have cut the two jobber matches and ju- just shown that. But yeah. I did I did appreciate the way that they skipped walk and brawl and slow parts in the match. I did miss like Rocco had like bladed and we don't know. Where where he bladed in the match because yeah. it was just it just cut to it, so that kind of stunk. But I did appreciate like if you're going to condense a match, I thought they did it in a pretty good way. But like like we're saying, cut those two fucking jobber matches. Like those guys are not ready for TV. If you have especially TV that you're paying for, that you are sending out, Paul Heyman always losing money. So you know. Don't waste your time on those guys and say maybe next week. So, yeah, I would have rather just seen the entirety of the Rocco Rock. Well, I like that because I like Rocco and Johnny, Johnny Grunge. I think Public Enemy was a great tag team. In ECW, they were fine. But I just don't think that they get the credibility that they deserve. I think the Dudleys totally stole their gimmick. Yeah. I mean, the tables thing. Ripped them off. Which, they were in the company at the same time, but... When the Dudleys went, the WWE version of the Dudleys is exactly the same as the WCW version of Public Enemy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because when they went to WCW, which I can't blame them, again, like ECW always shits on people, but if I can't blame them for taking that money. But when they went to WCW, WCW Turner didn't want them doing the same kind of garbage brawl. So you had to do a toned-down version of a garbage brawl every week with a table. And I thought they made the most of it when they were there. To me, the only thing they lacked was promo skills, but for ECW's crowd and for a feel-good tag team, and they had great music, and they had those segments where the fans got in the ring, I thought the ECW version of Public Enemy is underrated, but... When they got into other organizations, that's when you're supposed to step it up. And unfortunately, due to the limitations imposed on them and their own limitations as far as promos and uh, the music videos aren't there anymore. And it just they never that's why they're underrated, I think, overall is because of what happened when they left. Yeah. Had they left and become something bigger, they'd be up there with the Dudleys and the Steiner brothers and people like that that we talk about. But we'll never know because they just weren't allowed to be. Themselves and Scorpio, I still think is highly underrated. Flash Funk, you know, in WWE was still a pretty cool wrestler. The gimmick just had no legs to it. And again, another guy that it's part of the problem with ECW and their reliance on editing and music videos and everything else to get you over is that you don't get a lot of mic time. And if you don't have a manager or you're not naturally gifted, 
uh, Too Cold Scorpio on the mic never got to develop. So when he got to the WWE, he didn't speak. He just came out and danced. But he was very talented. He's a very talented performer. Way ahead of his time. He, he He's wrestling like everyone wrestles now. Yeah. With all the high spots for a heavyweight doing them. So then we fast forward two years. We come back to 1997. And what date was this on the network? November, or no, I'm sorry. October 6th of 1997. October 6th, 1997 for an episode of Hardcore TV. Now, we did the pay-per-view this led into, which was November to Remember, just last week. So some of these storylines can be paired with last week's episode. This is a much better episode than the 95. uh, Oh, yeah, this is a great episode. The ECW fan cam has Joey Styles welcoming us to the show. He welcomes Jason, the sexiest man on earth, who I had never heard speak before this episode. Jason says he's going to introduce a new athlete to us and who could this be i mean who did they sign ultimate warrior who who could it be who 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 who? what the hell are you doing out here joey you and i both have to agree that these ecw fans have been absolutely wonderful the way they follow ecw everywhere you know i spent days and nights thinking well, my contribution to repent, and I came up with something, Joey. You're leaving! He's leaving! No, I'm not leaving! As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, to show my appreciation to these wonderful fans, not only do I bring myself out here so they have something wonderful to look at, but Joey, ECW fans, Extreme World, <laughs> tonight I introduce to you an athlete, a superb athlete above everyone in ECW. Ladies and gentlemen, my newest find. No BJ Walker, no, no, no. and that's no man of raw. I mean, war. Uh, uh, uh. He's not PJ Walker. He's not the man of war. Then who is he? He's just incredible. Yeah, he's he's incredible. He's been held back by the clowns in Connecticut for years. But all right, what, what are we gonna call him? Who is he? Just incredible. All right, he's just. I got it, just incredible. Not only is that my name, but I'm just incredible every time I step in the damn ring. Now get out of my face, Styles. He introduces Just Incredible. Um, who the fuck is that? The crowd chants Aldo at him. Oh, it's Aldo Montoya. It's PJ Polacco. PJ Walker. PJ Walker. PJ Walker is how Joey Styles refers to him as. But then Jason says, no, no, no. He's been held back by those clowns in Connecticut for years. Justin says, get out of my face, Styles, and just shoves him away. He's like, who is he? He's just incredible. Well, yeah, he is incredible. 
He absolutely is just incredible. But who is he? He's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. He absolutely is incredible. But who is he? He's just incredible. Oh, I get it. First and last name. First name Justin, last name Credible. Words come on the screen with the ECW theme that we all know and love. They say the following. More explicit than Raw, more explosive than Nitro, and signed the hottest new talent, just incredible. Some of those statements were incorrect. Really? Now, which ones would you... Which I'm curious, which ones would you... More explicit than Raw, I agree with. More explosive than Nitro, I don't exactly know what that means, so I can't judge that one. And hottest new talent, just incredible... I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a guy he wrestles on this episode that might be a little more talented. So, really? That's right. We go right to the match. It's time for Justin Incredible's debut. I know you just got here. It's time to wrestle. He debuts against Dynamic Jerry Lynn, or Mr. JL from WCW. It's his debut, too, but he got no pomp and circumstance like Justin Incredible. Nope. Even though I think he's the more talented guy between the two of them. Credible and Lynn brawl for a bit. Credible complains about his hair being pulled, which is funny because he's bald. The crowd chants, Aldo still sucks. Lynn hits a Pescado to Jason, the sexiest man on earth. Then Justin tries to hit a springboard out to Jerry Lynn, but cracks his own ribs on the guardrail, which gets a you fucked up chant, but I think he did this on purpose. He gets crotched on the guardrail, and Lynn bulldogs him to the concrete, ouch. Lynn then hits a plancha from the turnbuckle to Credible out on the concrete floor. They get back in the ring. Credible hits a spinning release powerbomb to Lynn, followed by an atomic drop and a clothesline. Then he puts Lynn in an abdominal stretch, hits a drop kick, and they go to commercial break. When they come back, Jason says to the camera, Lynn will quit as he's in a sleeper, but he escapes with a jawbreaker. Lynn DDT's Credible after Credible misses an enziguri. Lynn hits a second rope leg drop for a near fall. Credible hits a missile drop kick for a near fall. A northern lights for a near fall. Then he misses a top turnbuckle splash, eats a German from Jerry Lynn that gets a near fall. Lynn hits a tiger bomb for another two count. Credible hits a sunset flip power bomb off the buckle for a two count. Lynn then hits a Frankensteiner from the buckle for a two count. Lynn then tries a tombstone but credible reverses it into one of his own only it's a corkscrew tombstone i guess you could say that's incredible but once again patrick when do you end the match after this super move no no of course not instead justin picks him up and hits a swinging ddt to get the win after his finishing move so yeah no just incredible shifts his weight corkscrew tombstone Will ever see a corkscrew tombstone? Jerry Lynn is wobbling. Swinging DDT. Strange ending, but I really enjoyed this match. Oh, this was, God, this was match of the night. This was a phenomenal TV match. This was match of the night, which is hard to believe because I loved all three matches on this. This is, hands down, one of the best ECW shows you will ever see. Yeah, and uh, definitely one of the best non-pay-per-view shows yeah. you'll ever see. Joey, despite his reluctance, puts Just Incredible over... And they go to break. I thought it was really unfair to Jerry Lynn that he didn't get the big entrance like Justin Credible did. Yeah. Uh, because he's 
like I said, I think he's more talented than than just incredible. Yeah. No gimmicks needed. Chris Candido then comes to the ring to face Lance Storm and his dyed blonde rat tail. We get a side headlock takedown and head scissor reversals from the both of them. Good Maddox changes end with Storm drop kicking Candido. The crowd applauds them when a Hurricane Rana is turned into an arm bar by Storm. Candido does some chops and the crowd woos, which this time gets the middle finger from Candido. He really hates the Ric Flair comparison. Candido then catches Storm, attempting a reverse victory roll, but instead just splats him on the mat with a power bomb. Big right hands from Candido keeps Lance Storm slowed down. Candido hits a neck breaker for a near fall. Storm hits a spinning heel kick, then it hits a springboard plancha to Candido out on the floor, but Candido baseball slides Storm into the crowd over the guardrail. Candido then dives into Storm from the buckles into the first row, and they yes. go to break. Now, this yes. is imp- this is impressive, but the guardrails are very close to the ring. But still, what you just said, he dives from the top rope into the first row. Chris Candido, yes, a big man here, a big little man. That is awesome. Just because you can, it doesn't matter how close to the ring, but the fact that you can say that makes your move sound that much better. We get a power slam to Lance Storm, and Molyneux catches Candido using his feet on the ropes, which for some reason is not allowed in ECW, Patrick. What the fuck? What is this? Candido hits a scoop slam and then hits a diving headbutt for a near fall, which makes Candido scream bullshit when he kicks out. Storm then super kicks Candido and both men are slow to recover. Storm hits a cartwheel clothesline to Candido in the corner and then a missile drop kick for two. Candido then power bombs Storm for two. Candido then flips off the ref. He does not like his counting here in this match. Candido looks for a superplex but Storm blocks it. Tries a diving sunset flip but Candido just sits down for a near fall. Storm hits a top rope reverse elbow but Candido gets a foot on the rope which breaks the count apparently in ECW. German with a bridge nets a two for Candido, then a Northern Lights from Storm gets a two count. Candido hits a pile driver, but Storm crotches Candido in the corner. Candido goes for the blonde bombshell and nails it and gets the win to a standing ovation as it was that move is really awesome. It's It's, very scary. It's very scary, but it is fucking awesome. And this is match of the night as well. So you've got a tough choice here. There it is, the blonde bombshell! Cover! Hook up the leg! You can't sell Landstorm short. He gave Candido all he could handle and more. Both men are exhausted down in the middle of the ring. The matchup could have gone either way, but it was Chris Candido just eking by Landstorm with that awesome finisher that he calls the Blonde Bombshell. A great victory for Candido in the triple threat. Yeah. I, I think this match was actually better than the first match. I'm going to pull a lawler here and say that every match is match of the night. We come back from break and it's time for a mixed tag match with RVD and Fonzie taking on Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicuddy. Now let me tell you. Knowing what we're about to see, I kept my eyes on Fonzie as well as kept my eyes on Beulah. I didn't really pay attention to RVD or Dreamer because they're in character. They're doing their thing. Fonzie is actually scared shitless. It's the first time I've never really seen him hop around, be crazy, blow the whistle, nothing like that. He's very calm. He's very collected. He realizes what he's about to have to do and what he's about to have to go through. Here comes Beulah. Beulah is scared shitless because she does not realize 
that she is going to pretty much carry this entire match and have what goes down as being the biggest moment in her career. RVD gets on the mic and says, this match is stupid and it's embarrassing and he's embarrassed to fucking be here in front of all these losers. He says, Fonzie, if you want to take a piece of Beulah's ass, you can do it right here. Runs in with a chair, but drops it for some reason before he gets in the ring and just clotheslines RVD and himself right out of the ring. RVD gets dropped on the guardrail and crotched. Dreamer grabs the chair and goes to the turnbuckle and comes down with a nasty head chair shot to RVD, who was posted on the guardrail. Dreamer then is limping around in the ring, because he's got a bad foot, you see. He hits a neck snap to RVD in the ring. He sets up a chair and hits the worst poetry in motion I think we've ever seen, as Tommy Dreamer is not meant to fly. Dreamer yells, ECW, and wants to hit RVD with the chair, but evil ref Jeff Jones takes it away, and RVD... Van Daminates Jeff Jones, so RVD almost turned face here. Hits the evil ref. Dreamer then DDTs RVD. Dreamer hits a terrible-looking frog splash to RVD as Sabu runs into the ring. I would say Tommy Dreamer's frog splash, not five stars. No. Sabu runs into the ring and starts beating Dreamer up as uh, Fonzie, this was his other client here, was Sabu. So he starts beating Dreamer up. Fonzie then sets up two chairs on each side of Dreamer's head, and uh, Sabu and RVD both hit drop kicks to it. A concerto before the concerto was a thing. RVD then hits a moonsault dropkick to Dreamer's face with a chair as Fonzie and Sabu set up a table. They put Dreamer on the table, then they both climb the turnbuckle, Sabu and RVD. They coordinate this pretty well. Sabu hits a leg drop and RVD hits a frog splash to Dreamer through the table. Ouch. But it looked awesome. Earlier in the taping tonight, Sandman caned Sabu in the eye. He did not seem to, uh, have any sort of damage from this and sabu in retaliation threw fire at him twice okay thanks even though sandman nowhere to be found here rvd cuts a promo on the crowd he says fonzie you want a piece of beulah you can have her now as long as you get to tell me and sabu about it later tonight We take a commercial break. The locker room is out to scrape up their hero, Tommy Dreamer, who was still out on the outside of the ring. And Fonzie is getting ready. He's firing up. He is hulking up to scrap with Beulah McGillicuddy. Beulah dares Fonzie as the crowd chants for Beulah. She smacks him in the head with a baking sheet she had on under her shirt. She did a uh, Bret Hart Goldberg thing here yeah. and had a iron thing under her shirt and smacked him in the head with it. Then she takes off her t-shirt to reveal a sports bra, yoga pants, and knee pad. She came ready to fight. She came in her gear, which, by the way, looks more natural than that shit they wear in WWE, all the 
weird bikini things. This is yeah. looks like what you would fight in. Yeah. I mean, this is what like MMA fighters fight in, yeah. basically. Fonzie, blades from the baking sheet. And unfortunately, Holy. no one must have given him a lesson. Holy shit. This looked like he Holy. cut a chunk of his head out. Oh my god. He either took... 30 aspirin or he literally went to his skull because he immediately just starts squirting blood everywhere and it does not stop until the match is over no this was i mean even when he exits the ring basically when he is thrown out of the ring he's still dripping oh they thought it's a stream yeah it's like a faucet running and i no exaggeration to this whatsoever. Again, this is this is a lot like the Shane McMahon Kurt Angle match where it's like way overboard for what it had to be. Oh like, uh, yeah. I mean, he just needed a little cut. Yeah. But no, man. He like, just went foom and just God, dude. His half of his face is just yeah. It looks like if you were in the shower and water's just running down your face, but it's blood. God, That's scary, dude. Fonzie claims that he lost a third of his blood in this match, and I'd believe I'd it. I'd believe it. Absolutely. He's a little man. Yes. This is a lot of blood. This for is a, a, and this. Let's go on, and I'll, we'll talk more yeah. after. She rams him into the guardrails very gently, by the way. Beulah working very light when she realizes this man has split his skull open. Uh, she runs him into the guardrails and into the crowd. She gets a frying pan, but gets low-blowed by Fonzie. Fonzie cannot see anything out of his eye and is wiping away the blood. It wouldn't help. He hits a leg drop to Beulah's midsection and chokes her against the ropes. And he chokes her with the whistle cord. Finally, this whistle has come into play in this man's life where he can use it as a weapon and chokes Beulah McGillicuddy. Fonzie's shirt at this point is now just completely soaked in blood. It is... It's sticking to him as if it was a wet t-shirt contest. I am not making this shit up. He goes for a suplex, but she DDTs him. I guess she learned the move from her husband for a near fall. At this point, I would have just let her beat me here. Again, (laughs) no one to end the match. This is for your own good. This is for your own life safety. Like, do not die in the ring. Just let it be over and get medical attention. Fonzie gets clotheslined by Beulah. She chops him, but then he chops her. And he kind of pulls her top down a little bit to deliver this chop. It was... That was kind of mean. Yeah. Oh, he reared back and knocked... He slapped the shit out of her with that chalk. Fonzie calls for a moonsault. I would have loved to have seen this attempt. (laughs) This one-eyed referee uh, who's covered... Who's pissing blood out of his head. Try a moonsault. I wanted to see this. I knew it did not occur, unfortunately. So Beulah stops him, crotches him, puts him in the tree of woe, puts a chair in his head, and then hits a very gentle running drop kick into Fonzie's bloody face. Beulah then goes for a moonsault, but Fonzie tries a power bomb, but she reverses it into a Hurricane Rana, which Fonzie had to do a lot of work here to get over. I mean, he was doing a lot of work to get over in other ways, but he had to actually do to, to help. Ro- to rotate this Hurricane Rana, so he does he not. He almost did a headstand yes. yeah and uh she hits the hurricane rana and the place fucking explodes it's like stone cold <laughs> steve austin fucking came out here and gets the win gets the win Bueller's gonna go for the moonsault we've seen her do it before and alfonso is on his feet he's gonna powerbomb beulah he's gonna powerbomb beulah out of the corner he's got her up he- 
and it is the greatest ECW match ever. No, it's for crowd reaction. It, 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 you can't say it didn't work because the crowd loved it. Oh, man. I might, my ref shirt, my wrestling boots, my hat, my shirt, my pants, everything is off in respect to Fonzie for this fucking match. Oh my god. Yeah, bow down to the wrestling ref. Exactly. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, wow. Uh, Dreamer then magically wakes up. It's like he knew that the match was over. And he comes in the ring and Fonzie gets chucked out of the ring still just pouring oh god, blood. dude. He is pouring and the mat is completely soaked, man. Like, imagine having it, because you know they would reuse this mat. Like, yeah. Man, that is so gross. Like, Dude, she, she is covered in his blood. Yeah, that's. Like, her arms are. Spl- it's just blood stained splatter all over. I mean. Yeah, so Beulah, years before Becky Lynch posed covered in blood, Beulah does the Tommy Dreamer Raven pose, and we're out. That's the end of the night. And. The crowd loved it. Oh, my God. I cannot exaggerate how amazing Fonzie and Beulah are to work with no talent (laughs) in the likes that they have. Well, you can't say Fonzie didn't give it all. Or very little. Oh, my. I. Dear God. This is. For a TV match, by the way. For yeah, th- this should have been a fucking pay per view match. This is a WrestleMania moment match because he. Is oh yeah, this is Vince McMahon peering up from the ring covered in blood. This yeah. is what's crazy about it is it's mainly by accident. Yeah, because I don't think the crowd would have popped as big had he just you know had a little cut on his forehead and just gotten his ass kicked. I mean they would have been happy with that, yeah. but they wouldn't have gone crazy like they did for this. No, like, he. I was. I was actually in fear for his life. It was that much blood. Like that Eddie Guerrero and JBL match when he's all bloody. I forget what year that happened, but that that's one of those. Uh, I mean, and all those Shawn Michaels matches we've reviewed already. Like I've seen some really bad blade jobs, but this one is probably in the top five of he, awful blade jobs. He is. Yes, yeah, like you said, he is pissing blood nonstop through this entire match. Yeah, an independent contractor with no health insurance working for ECW probably got what two hundred bucks that night. I want to know how much staples or stitches it took to close him up. A hell of an episode of Hardcore TV from top to bottom. There is not. I mean, forty-five minutes. It will be the greatest forty-five minutes in wrestling history. I don't know about that, but it's it's a great if you want to know how to do an hour of wrestling TV. I think this did it. Yeah, this right here, this episode right here shows the ability that ECW had, and it had the two dynamics of ECW that made it great, which was a garbage brawl to end the night, which was very violent. But you also had earlier in the night great technical wrestling. Yeah. Between Storm and Candido and Just Incredible and Jerry Lynn. So you had the best of both worlds. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a great showcase of everything that made ECW so special. Would have liked to seen the actual uncut version with the not dubbed over themes and like promos that we might be missing or anything like that. But I really enjoyed this episode of... This is one of the best things we've reviewed, I think, this this episode. Not the yeah. 95 one so much, but the yeah. 97 one, definitely. Right. This is up here. I mean, it's, it rates really high as one of the best sit-down shows we've 
reviewed. A viewing experience, yeah, yeah. from top to bottom. You you definitely won't be like, oh man, when will this end? Yeah, this 45 minutes and you're like, where the... F-? I mean, I just sat down to watch it. It's very good. It's a very good show. The 95 one, not so much. So it's good that they had learned. And I mean, yeah. by this point, they were doing pay-per-views. So Polly was understanding television a little bit better probably in 97 uh, than he was in 95. So you can see the progression that Hardcore TV had made in just two years. You know, no filler. There was no jobber no. matches on here. No. So to have worked with non-talent, to do spots with someone who has not been fully trained, what these two were able to do and pull off is with out a doubt mind blowing amazing and i my respect for both of these these people Fonzie and Beulah absolutely truly gave every single bit of blood sweat and tears well Fonzie sure did to get this match over and mainly was, just blood it was great it really it was awesome on our scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, Hardcore TV from 95, where would you rate that episode? A Mikey Whipwreck. Oh, that's very good. I think we're in agreement. I would give that a Mikey Whipwreck because I don't think you're missing anything by skipping that episode. Yeah. And Hardcore TV from 1997. This is Gonzalez and Andre on top of each other. I mean, oh, this, wow. this is the perfect episode to watch. I'm going to give it a 911 because uh, he was Fon- a big man. He's a big man, and Fonzie probably should have called 911 <laughs> uh, during and after his match. After Elimination Chamber in 2019, there will only be one pay per view before WrestleMania. So let's go back to a classic pay per view before WrestleMania the pay per view before X7, No Way Out 2001. Three stages of hell with uh, the two man power trip. Well, they hadn't formed yet, but. Spoiler, that would be after WrestleMania. But this was Hunter's big match against Austin. Austin had never wanted to put Hunter over. Would this be the night that Hunter finally got that big win on Stone Cold Steve Austin? We'll have to find out for No Way Out 2001. Also, The Rock and Kurt Angle going at it for the WWF world title. Trish Stratus and Stephanie McMahon for the women's title. Oh, yes, a very... Another good match of two non-performers yes. that uh, turned out to be pretty good, yeah. as I recall. So we will do No Way Out 2001. That's next week. Right here on the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code Retro Wrestling, and get a month for free of 4,200 hours of content, as if you needed more wrestling. That'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always... Bill Alfonso is my king. Very well done, sir. My closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. So I had a match with Beulah and stole nothing the show. Nothing was bloody. I mean, everything was crazy, you know? Stole the show. and they, Everyone talks about that. They, uh, Paul Heyman on uh, one of the DVDs says, not only it was, it was the most exciting match in the ECW, but <laughs> it was the most five and ten minutes in wrestling history. <laughs> Paul Heyman says that yeah, on a DVD that, yeah, that Vince put out. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone so talks about that match. It wasn't me. It was, uh, yeah, Vince had not, okay that. You're underplaying it right now. Like, everybody talks about that match. So, uh, when it, uh, they thought I did that uh, bleeding on purpose that much <laughs> to save my job.
<laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Like, I got rushed to the hospital. Wow. I, that happened at the beginning of the match. The match was seven minutes and ten mm -hmm. seconds. Pretty close to that. I think mm -hmm. it was six minutes. It was seven minutes and ten seconds. It happened in the first 20 seconds of the match. But the girl hits me with the thing. Bam, my head gets busted open. And I bleed uh, profusely through the whole match. And I was getting dizzy. Uh, by the time the match was over, Beulah beat me right in the middle, one, two, three, and put mm -hmm. over, why yeah. not? Yeah. Uh, it was all good, yeah. and it was good that I bled good because it made the match. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, we did made it memorable. not wrestlers with two non-wrestlers. You yeah. know, we're not supposed to know how to monkey yeah. live and yeah. all drag. Although you, it looked like you are going up for a moonsault at one point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was fun to see. She, she pushed you out. Yeah. The thing the wall, <laughs> the baseball slide Yeah, down. it was crazy. Yeah. So I said, lay him in there, whatever you mm -hmm. do, don't easy, you're yeah. a girl, and I'm a boy, make <laughs> it look like you're killing me. She did, she was she, pretty, she didn't pretty stiff, no. and I gave her the Ric Flair top pretty stiff, boom. <laughs> yep, you yep. Know? Um, but after the match, I crawled back to the dressing room, so that's another two minutes on my hands and knees, and I was feeling kind of weak. If you look at the match, I'm looking at the hard camera that's stationed up in the crow's nest, and I go like this. And I'm telling Paul Heyman is right next to the mm -hmm. camera, hard camera. And I'm telling Paul Heyman, I don't know if I can continue because mm -hmm. I'm getting the feeling a little yeah. weak. Yeah, and I actually did. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And I said, well, if I, after that, I thought about it. And I said, well, if I go back, run in the dressing room and cry, um, and all the boys do this all the time, I'm going to look like the biggest pussy. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? So I better man up and yeah, talk this yeah. out. Which I did. You and did. I tucked you it out to the did. end. Yeah, you sucked and then it I didn't want no help. As soon as the match one, two, three, they come on, Ponzi. I said, no, no, no. I crawled on my hands and knees like this, <laughs> and it was from here to your street to the curtain. <laughs> good uh, hundred uh, feet, yeah. Uh, yeah, good hundred feet to the restroom, and then mm -hmm. as soon as I went through the curtains, I said, help, help, <laughs> and all the paramedics jumped on yeah. me. They couldn't stop the bleeding because uh, it hit an artery. Oh, jeez. And it hit a nerve. And so they, the paramedics had to put some type of steel cold pack that they have with a steel plate on it, press real hard and double tape. They couldn't stop wow. it. Couldn't stop it. Just the pressure, And they yeah. rushed me to a hospital, wow. 911 style, because mm -hmm. uh, head trauma mm -hmm. was closed. Yeah, yeah. And all the blood. So I get to the hospital, and they don't know what happened wow. at the hospital. They know that I'm. Busted open in the head. They don't mm -hmm. know I'm a wrestler. They don't know Ponzi. They don't know how to take a Beulah. No, no, no. They were concerned uh, um, about me physically, yeah. physically, because yeah. I was dying. Oh, they yeah. said they lost. I lost thirty-three percent of my blood. Jeez. And I said I'm feeling a little queasy. He said, Oh, that's normal for a lot of blood loss. Yeah. And they held my feet up like that. Yeah. yeah then right. I see the jumper cables coming in there for the heart. I said, oh boy, what are those for? They said, just in case, don't worry, trust us. In case you have a heart attack because you don't have enough and blood. And I said, whatever you do, don't unwrap the band-aid because <laughs> the blood's going to shoot about seven feet like they that. They give you a transfusion or what they do? No, they just uh, had some guy come in that was not working, some specialist that knows how to yeah. put nerves back together. So they, it was like a, a three-hour operation. Wow. Not an operation, but three-hour. Yeah. They bandaged me up. Right, yeah. And... Um, then I got stitched up. You see the scar right yeah, there? Yeah. Let's get it in there. Definitely. That's see from it. Beulah. 
Yeah. I call it Beulah's, I'm going to say this, I'll be wise to say, it's Beulah's pussy if you look at it this way. <laughs> See this little slat? You know what I'm talking about? Beulah's, I call it Beulah's I've, box. I've, uh, I've never seen it, but okay. actually maybe I have. Maybe I've seen it on the internet. No, you have, but, you know, but that's, you know, it, it might, I'll believe you. You, like that way. you know people. I don't know Beulah that way. That's my friend's uh, wife, Tommy Dean, they're married. Yeah, I don't they want to mess with Tommy. I don't... They got twins and they've been on The Sopranos. The twins won The yeah. Sopranos episode. Really? Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Because the twins got to be on The Sopranos. Uh, on TV because well, cause, they, yeah because you can the, put one at a time and right, you're not correct. hit the hour limit so they were the Sopranos but uh, so I ended up staying a couple of days in the hospital and drinking a lot of juices and lying still Beulah called me every day wow. I'm so sorry Ponzi sent me flowers sent wow. me presents and everybody went home but me wow. I lived in Florida seven in Philadelphia I'm in a hospital my family doesn't know I don't want to call my family and say I'm in a hospital I was bled to death I don't want to scare my parents or my spouse or my friends or my, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was the Beulah match. Beulah McGillicuddy was involved in five of the most intense minutes in the history of ECW when she had that match with Bill Alfonso. I mean, they beat the crap out of each other. They had a phenomenal match. Here's Beulah, who's not a wrestler. Here's Bill Alfonso, who's a 135-pound former referee. And these guys had uh, an amazing fight that, to this day, if you ask me, hey, name, name one of the hardest-hitting battles in the history of ECW, it ranks right up there with anything else I've ever seen. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv.